First Samuel chapter 21, verse 11. Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousand, and David his tens of thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Asius, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them, and he acted insanely in their hands. And he scribbled on the doors of the gates, and he let his saliva run down his beard. Then Asius said to his servants, Behold, do you see the man behaving as a madman? Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that, I may, that, that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Okay. So David is fleeing from King Saul. And what does he do? He goes and he runs off to the Philistines, to the enemies. Remember, he has killed many, many Philistines by this time. And he runs back. This is analogous to us running back into the world and thinking that, oh, we're going to have security here. Christian life is pretty hard. Let's just run back to the world where it's much safer. And we find that it's not much safer. So we talked about this last time. And how they recognize David. And they say, aren't you the guy who's killed all these people? Aren't you the guy who killed Goliath? Aren't you the guy who's killed hundreds and hundreds? In fact, they attribute to you thousands, tens of thousands of deaths among the Philistines. And David, in fact, it says, is carrying the sword of Goliath. And he goes back into Goliath's hometown. So really foolish sort of things. And, and they recognize him. And, you know, what was he thinking? You're wondering, what was the man thinking to do this? But we get like this too. We think sometimes we can slip back into the world and everything's going to be okay. But it's not going to be all right. Did you know, as you read through the book of, of Kings and Chronicles, you can write this down, and when you ever read through that, remember this. Every king, every king that disguised himself in battle, in other words, took off his royal robes and went into battle, every king that disguised himself in battle was killed in that battle. Every king that disguised himself in battle, even sometimes just a random arrow would be shot and would go through just some little opening in his armor. If we try to disguise who we are in Christ, we will be in real trouble. If you have taken upon yourself the salvation of Jesus, and now you try to act differently, your life is going to be really pretty miserable. So, what he says now is that, is that uh, he took these words to heart, and it says that he acted, in verse 13, he acted insanely in their hands. So, now what does he have to do? He finds himself in this real fix, and now they bring him before Ashish. Because very often you would have a mighty warrior of a particular group come and move into another group and serve as a mighty warrior in that group. So when David eventually becomes king, he will have many people working for him from kingdoms around where he is. In fact, much of David's own security guards turned out to be men who were not of Jewish descent, not, of he not Hebrews. He would surround himself with these sort of people, and this sort of thing actually happens today. So if, for example, you, you go to... Uh, Actually, we have friends here from Amman. So, uh, uh, King Hussein, didn't King Hussein often have a security force of expatriates? They weren't Jordanians. Did you know that? Much of his security force was not Jordanians. This happens in many countries. Why? Because a security force that is, that is composed of expatriates has no specific allegiance to a particular party. 
And very often they can be actually a better security force. And David knew this sort of thing. So you'll see when we look at David's mighty men that very often they were not of of the descent of the Hebrews. Many of them, uh, of his top warriors. And so they were wondering, maybe we should bring David to Asius the king. And David starts realizing that, uh uh-oh, it's getting pretty hot in here. All these people kind of know what I've done to their brothers and to their, how I've killed so many of them. So what does he do? It says, and I'm not justifying this, this is, this is what's recorded here. It says, David acted insanely in their midst. And in case we're thinking that, oh, they must be speaking figuratively. This is an allegory here. No, it says he acted insanely in their hands and he scribbled on the doors of the gate and he let his saliva run down his beard. I mean, he really acted insanely. Now, why would the Bible report this? Of all things, I mean, text in here has to be pretty valuable, you know, to make it into this book. Why would the Bible report this? Well, the Bible reports it because this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what occurred. The scriptures report to us exactly what occurred. So David starts acting insanely. He acts like a fool. And they think that he's insane. So they bring him before Asius and he's got saliva running down his beard. And he's kind of looking around and scribbling on walls. And Asius says, do I lack madmen in my kingdom that you're bringing this man to me? And he says, shall this one come into my house? In other words, this is one that you want to sit at the table with me? And he's able to get away. I'll tell you, if you slip in the world, you're going to look really foolish by the time you've slipped back out of that thing. You're going to do things that are going to make you look really foolish. But the other thing that the Scriptures do for us is they give us this beautiful picture of what was going through David's mind. There are very few passages in Scripture other than here in this First Samuel book where we get a glimpse of what was going through David's mind at these sort of times. Because David recorded this in the book of Psalms. So now we're going to look at another psalm. Last week we looked at at Psalm 142, which is when he got caught. Now we're going to look at Psalm 34. Let's look at Psalm 34, because this is right after he gets out of there. So right after he gets out of there, he writes another psalm. So he wrote Psalm 142 when he was in the midst of this. But now in Psalm 34, we get a glimpse of what was going on with David at this time. And it's really quite amazing. So look look at this in in Psalm 34. Let's start reading it from verse 1. So remember, this is a picture of what, what David is going through when he immediately escapes. So you wonder what's going through his mind? Here's what's happening. He says in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. All right, so this is not David sitting in some palace in a very comfortable situation that says, let me write something that sounds really beautiful here. That's not what this is. This is David that was just on the verge of being killed. 
This is David who did a total blunder in his life. God never told him, go to the Philistines and partner up with them. And in fact, that is not the first time, that, that's not the last time that he's going to do this. He's going to do this one, once more, one more time. This is after a major blunder in his life that has gotten him within an inch of getting his life taken from him. This is after he acts, has to act like a fool. I mean, this is dignified David. Now, this dignified David, by the way, is just about your age when he finds himself in, in, uh, in gap like this. So he's probably in his early 20s at this time. Maybe 20, 21, 22. He's right about your age when he does this. Major, a major fault in his life to have done this. And he gets out of there and he turns around. He says, it, the, the summary of this is in verse 6. This poor man cried, the Lord, saved, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. If we can remember that if we cry to the Lord, He will save us out of our troubles. How much more explicit would you like the Word of God to be? It is that simple. This poor man cried. This one who totally blew it cried out to God, and God delivered him. It is that simple. Remember, James tells us that you do not receive because you do not ask. The primary reason that we do not receive answers to prayer is that we do not pray. That is the primary reason. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him, and delivered him out of all his troubles. He starts blessing God and praising God. He says, his praise shall be in my mouth, in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, I'm going to boast about the Lord, I magnify the Lord, and then he starts having this worship service. He says, let's exalt his name together. What we will see in David's life is his amazing ability to recover from faults. Amazing ability to, to recover. In fact, his ability to recover from his sins, his ability to recover from his faults, is so profound that it can be offensive at times. What bothers the world very often about Christianity is they say it is too simple. It is too simple. You take this death of your Savior upon yourself and you're good to go for heaven? And the answer is right. That's correct. Jesus died for me. He gave His life for me. It is that simple. The deal here, the exchange, doesn't look very good. I mean, Jesus takes all our problems upon us, uh, upon Himself, and He gives us new life. And it's offensive to the world. They say, this is too simple. You mean you don't have to beat yourself on the back with chains to get forgiven? You know, there are religions like this where you beat yourself on the back with chains. And in doing this, you somehow show penance and, 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 and you, you build your way back up into heaven. David is so quickly able to recover. People are offended by this sort of thing. And you will meet people. And I met a guy who would blow so many things in his life, but he was so able to go to God and ask forgiveness. It was almost like, this is too simple. David was like this. You think, you look at the things that David did and how quickly he was able to recover. And this is where God wants us. It says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and, the, and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been afraid? I've been afraid many times. I mean, there are situations that can confront me and I'm like, how am I ever going to do this? 
How am I going to do this? Here I was, a, a, a young father. I had two children. I still didn't have a real job. I was still in school. How am I going to pull all this off? These real fears, and you know what happens? If all I do is dwell upon my fears, it just begins to spiral down. And it gets worse and worse. He says, I sought the Lord, He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. God is able to deliver you. What God has done is He's taken this extreme situation. All of us have fears. Your situations right now may be that you you have some big exam pending. Or there might be... These are little, really little in comparison to what this guy went through. This situation was really extreme for him. And he says, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. There are mornings when I wake up and I have this, all this stuff that I have to do and I have to travel to this place and I have to go to this place and, and, and essentially perform. In other words, stand before people and you know, talk about things and encourage them. And, and I don't feel like encouraging anybody. I need to be encouraged. If you ever wake up, this is my day to just receive. This is my day to receive. I need encouragement. I just want to go there and, and have people give to me because I'm the one who's in, in need. You know what happens on those days? You never receive enough. The way you get it is when you trust God and He will lift you up and make you able to bless others. Here is David, the one who so blew it, now leading the worship service. Saying, saying, magnify the Lord with me. He's saying, the Lord answered me. He is leading this service. When you get filled up with God, He carries you through so that you are filled up and you are touching others. So many times, I will wake up in the morning and feel, I cannot do what I have to do. And the Lord delivers me from my fears. And now look at what David does. He says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. Now He says in verse 8, He says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. He says, taste and see how good God is. I want you to do this. This is exactly how I feel. Let me tell you how I feel. This is not David. This is Jim Tour speaking. I want so much for you people to experience in your lives what I have experienced. To enjoy your careers like I enjoy my career. I love what I do. To enjoy your families as much as I enjoy my family. I see so many men that that are disgruntled and upset about so many things. I love my wife so much. I want you to experience the love for a spouse that I have. I want you to experience this because it can be so good. You look at this and you say, God, marriage is the greatest invention. This is a wonderful thing. You know, God thought of this. It is a wonderful thing for a man to be committed to a woman and a woman to a man for as long as they both live. As long as the two of them shall live, that marriage is supposed to stand. That's the way it's supposed to be. I want you to experience this. I don't want you to have to experience the pain of divorce. I don't want you to have to experience the pain of having children go astray. I don't want you to have to go through this. David says, taste and see if you could only see how good God really is. I committed my life to God in college. When I was about your age. And I started seeking God and God has fulfilled prayers. He has spoken to me through the scriptures and He's given me little promises that I've held on to. 
And I see these promises then fulfilled. I want you to experience this. This Word of God is not messing around. It is so true. It is so right. It shows the destruction that comes upon a life for disobedience and the blessing that comes upon a life for obedience. I want you to see this. I want you to experience this. David says, Taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. This is powerful. What do you want in life? You know, it's really amazing. I had a guy come into my office. uh, Somebody called me from the administration. They said, here's a person. He wants to fund research. He's a very wealthy man, and he likes to fund research. And so he'll fund your research program, and he'll build a company around different parts of your work. And they said, you know, we've chosen two people in the university for him to speak to. And so he came to the office, and we spoke for an hour and a half, which for me is a long time. We spoke for an hour and a half. He was an interesting sort of guy. And uh, um, we started to talk, and he, start, he said, you know, you know from this, I, I, could, I could make a lot of money for you. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, it's kind of funny, because there is nothing in the world that I want that I don't already have. And he looked at me. I said, I am speaking to you honestly. There is nothing that I want that I don't already have. My home is bigger than what I need, because we raised four kids in that home. And and most of them are gone now. I don't need anything else. There's nothing that I want that I can't already afford. You know, there's I can't think of anything. Why do I need more money? And I explained to him, as I told you before, I explained to him, the more money I make, the harder it is to raise my children. Because it raises their expectations. And he and he looked at me and he just it was he was incredulous. I mean, just looking at me. Then I began to explain to him. He says, okay, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. He says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But just above that, he says in verse 9, for to those who fear him, there is no want. If you have God, you have everything. You have everything. I don't want another woman. I want my wife. All the time, I want my wife. I hate it when she travels and goes away. I want her near me. I love to be with my wife. I want the kids that I have. They're great kids. I want them. Those are what I want. I got, those are the things that, that I need. I don't need all these other, other things. And he says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. What's this picture? The young lions of all things that shouldn't be suffering hunger, it's the young lions. Because young lions are strong enough and, you know, to kill any gazelle that they need to get. But you look at it in life. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. And I meet people like this all the time. They have all the health, all the strength, all the money, and they're never satisfied. This is what life is without God. It is so hard to be satisfied without God. And this is what David's saying. This guy is just blurting out in prayer. He says, this is wonderful. And you see, David, this isn't fair. You just had this major disaster in your life where you blew it. You shouldn't be this happy. You know, you should be beating yourself up for a while. I mean, how dare you write this type of thing? No, God said, this is perfect, David, perfect. This is what I want you to be. I want to learn, I want you to learn how to recover. And to take this word of God, and he takes 
this little thing that David happens to write, and God saves a copy of it and makes sure that it's found and goes into a book so that we can all learn from it. You know, I had the great blessing of learning from a very spiritual man. His name was Brother Bhak Singh of India. He started over 600 churches in India. A great, powerful man of God. I met him when he was in his 80s. And I was a young college student. And for, for a summer when he was visiting in the U.S., I kind of helped to take care of him because you know, it was hard for him to get up and things. But the man would pray. He would pray for hours and hours on his knee, knees by his bedside. He went, when are you going to go to bed, man? Here I, I, was, I was like 19 years old or 20 years old. And here this guy's in his 80s praying for hours. Just his head up to the Lord on his knees praying. It was so good for me that summer to see how this man of God lives. How this man of God has this enormous faith. And people would come for prayer and he would just pray for them and believe and trust God. And he would teach the Word of God. He's in his 80s. In fact, he didn't die until he was in his 90s. The last time I saw him, he was in his 90s in in India was the last time I saw him. But in his 80s, he had all this strength for preaching the Word of God. And I saw this and I learned. What God is doing through this book, through this passage, is taking a man named David and letting you see a snapshot of his life and saying, Be like Him. Be like Him. When there is failure, I want you to see what David did. He could turn around and say, God is everything. There's nothing that I want in life that I don't already have. I want you to experience this. He says, without God, you will be like these young lions. You will be suffering hunger. You will never be satisfied. But if you have God, you will be so satisfied. This is what he's saying. You must appropriate this by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. So in other words, believing that God exists is not enough. You say that, you know, I, I believe in God. And the Bible says, well, good for you. Even the demons believe in God. That's what the Bible says. Belief in God is not enough. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek Him, He will reward you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Keep your finger there at Psalm 34, but turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It's a tremendous passage on faith. So this whole chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is on faith. So that was in Hebrews 6. It says, whoever comes to God, Hebrews 11, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, whoever comes to God must believe that He is, and He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. And in the beginning it says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. You appropriate this by faith. You get it by faith. Look in, in verse 32. Of Hebrews 11, 6. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Now, you look through this list. It is a beautiful list. Because in this list is full of men with failures. Lots of failures in their life. And I say, yes, this is the type of list I like. If you give me a list of holy men who've only done holy things all their lives, I can't relate to that. 
But this list of men I can relate to because you can go back and you can look at the real failures in some of these men. But it says that they also had great faith. Then it says in verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. So look at what they got through faith. It's through faith they obtained promises. So in other words, there are promises ready to be had that we don't get because we don't have faith. When I see believers that don't appropriate the promises of the Word of God, you know what I do? It sounds rather selfish. But I hate to see good promises go to waste. So I say, Lord, what you would have done in their life had they had faith, give it to me so it's not wasted, Lord. Give it to me. I'll take it. Let not that promise be wasted. I'll take it. I'll take that promise. If somebody doesn't want to believe the promises of God... Some believer doesn't want to say, Lord, I'll take it. I'll take that gift. Don't let it go to waste. I'll take it. It says, they quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness, they were made strong. Wow. That's what I like. I come before the Lord in the morning, and I am so weak sometimes spiritually. I have nothing to give out. I come before the Lord on Sunday mornings. And I've studied this word all week. I prepare all week for this Sunday school class. It may not look like it, but I do. I read all week this passage and meditate on it and say, Lord, speak to me what you want me to share. Speak to me. And some Sunday mornings I say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to share. I have come before you. Lord, fill me. From my weakness, make me strong. And I am so glad that on Sunday mornings, and I have been teaching this Sunday school class every Sunday for 11 years. Every Sunday. And I am glad for that because I can't just come and say, well, now's my morning to be filled. No, I can't do that. I can't just sit down and say, Caleb, you get up and teach today. You know, I can't do that. They say, Lord, fill me. And He fills me. He does it. God is the one who does it. From weakness, you are made strong through faith. It says they became mighty in war. In other words, they didn't become mighty by sitting around. You become mighty when you're in the battle. If you just want to sit and receive, you will never become mighty. It is when you are stepping out and doing something that causes you to have to stretch beyond yourself. That's when you become mighty. Without it, you don't. No use to make you mighty. Why should God make you mighty? You just sit there anyway. It'd be a waste of a gift. You become mighty in the war. Turn back to Psalm 34. Verse 15, Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ear is open to their cry. The the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why Why does David have to be saying this? David, I'm telling you, when David wrote this, he did not know, I am writing the Bible. He didn't know that. David did not know that his writings were going to be put alongside the writings of Moses. He didn't know that. Who is David writing for? David says, 
the righteous crimes, verse 17, the Lord hears and delivers them all out of all their troubles. He's writing this for himself. He's writing this, he is building up himself. This is what the man is doing. He takes this thing and he just starts proclaiming it to himself. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He takes the reality that he sees, what God did for him in, boom. He just writes it and starts proclaiming it upon himself. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You, you, your spirit ever been crushed? Do you suffer with depression? A whole lot of us do, to differing degrees. You take this book and let it be the thing that fills you. Let it be the thing that lifts you up. This book will do it. You suffer with low self-esteem, with insecurity? Well, welcome to the world. And let God begin to fill you. Let God begin to fill you. I have been there. I have done this. And so what David is doing, he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Who is he writing for? He's writing this for himself. This is between him and God. He is proclaiming this. You take this word of God and you say, the Lord is near to Jim. He is near to Jim in his broken heart. He saves Jim when he is crushed in spirit. You take this upon yourself. You put your name in the word of God. This is what the man is doing. What does that do? It builds you up in faith. It builds up your faith. You take this word and you draw it upon yourself and it builds you up in faith. What I am sharing with you is a treasure that very few believers know how to do. Very few believers ever exercise this in their entire lives. They are born, they are born again, they live 60, 70 years as Christians and they die and they go to be with Jesus. They have never learned to take the word of God and to pull it up and make it their own. This is what the Word of God is for. It is there to do this. Don't let this pass by. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't want you to miss this in your lives. I don't want you to miss what it is. Because remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, tear that verse right out of the Bible because you don't believe it anyway. Why carry it around? It's just excess baggage. It's there for a reason. This word is here for a reason. We learn from this guy's disaster to say, in all the disasters that I do in my life, I can recover. I can recover. I can recover and I can take this book and make it part of my life. Verse 19 of Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. To walk with Jesus does not keep us from afflictions. In fact, there is a promise. The promise is, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are your afflictions. He promises us afflictions. But what He promises us also is, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. There is no affliction that you will go through that He will not deliver you. Because the final affliction will be death. And He will deliver you out of that. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Because I live, you shall live also. I mean, with a guarantee like that, we believe that He is risen from the dead. We shall live also. Whoever lives and believes in Me shall live even if he dies, Jesus said. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. So that when your physical body is gone, 
And that goes, you live for him forever, with him forever. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And you obtain the promise through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that is so able to speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to take this word of God like David did and proclaim the promises of God over ourselves. Father, I pray for these young people that you would teach them your ways, that they would come and see and taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, I pray that you would cause them to know what it is to have no want because you have fulfilled their every desire. You have fulfilled it all. Father, I pray your blessing and your grace to be upon them. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. May they appropriate your word of God and take hold of it by faith. In the name of Jesus, amen.